do you think this is a game? <laughs> My mental health. Do you think it's a game? <laughs> oh, no. Because... I'm pretty sure I told you a couple times, never seen the movie. It's my fault, okay? It's a crime I haven't seen it yet. I've heard it referenced all my life. I know what O'Captain my captain is. But this is my first time watching the movie. Again, no prep. Yeah, I know. And you know what? You gotta start doing that for me. <laughs> I gotta start preparing you. You are not in charge of my genuine reaction to things, but... And I don't need trigger... I'm not a trigger whore. Like, I don't say, oh, I'm triggered all the time. But I fell in love with those boys, Carrie. <laughs> oh, and no. not is all sunshine and rainbows at the end of this plot. <laughs> Guys, to be honest, I just don't think to prepare him because I feel like he's going to look it up ahead of time anyway. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew, man. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, during birthday month, <laughs> you've hurt me a couple times in your birthday month, as I know I've hurt you. <laughs> Less emotionally and more, like, logistically, but, like... <laughs> like Slither. Yeah. <laughs> the International Criminal Court is still out on Slither, so... Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we will be contributing a verse. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 1989 drama, Dead Poet Society. <sighs> Happy birthday month, everybody. It's Carrie's birthday month. <laughs> yep, as always, this is the month when I get to put Ross through anything and everything I want, and he cannot say no. And as a matter of fact, I'm so sorry, guys. Because we record the way we do, we don't prepare ourselves for these things. But Carrie, happy birthday! Oh yeah! And today is your birthday! It is my birthday! For the listeners, today yeah. is your birthday! <laughs> so happy fucking birthday, dude! I wonder what I'm doing right now. I'm so glad you're the elder version of Spawn of me. Elder version of Elder Spawn. version of Spawn. I'm sorry. I'm incredibly weird, but I learned from the best. She's got four years on me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, practice the three R's. Guys, be rating, reviewing, and retweeting. Yes, retweeting. <laughs> rating, reviewing, and retweeting. <laughs> we want everyone to come and join our little watch party, but... If you guys haven't gotten me a present this year, uh, you could go over to the Patreon and check us out over there. Yeah, guys, there's no better way to tell Carrie and you love her this holiday season, <laughs> this holiday season. than by giving her your money, because it's not no work, guys. And we, we do carve out extra time for the Patreon. It's just $5 a month. You go on over to our Patreon page, you can get access to all of our bonus content, all of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. We did 50 bajillion episodes of HBO's John Adams and Netflix's The Haunting of Hill House every single episode is waiting for you over there right now. Tell a friend. <laughs> give them the link. Go over there. Go ahead and click it. Do it right now. Do it now. <laughs> Become a little onion contributor at the $5 level. You will be so glad that you did. Gentlemen, what are the four pillars? Tradition, honor, discipline, excellence, manners up. Welton Academy for Boys, a breeding ground for the future leaders of America, an institution dedicated to achievement, virtue, and conformity. A school whose rigid standards are upheld by every single teacher. 
except one. Come on, Mr. Overstreet, you twerp. Mr. Anderson, are you a man or an amoeba? Language was developed for one endeavor, and that is... To communicate. No! To woo women. Mr. Keating. Some people like to rock, some people like to roll, but moving in a groove is gonna Touchstone Pictures presents Robin Williams as John Keating, teacher. Well, is this a dagger I see before me? Philosopher. I like Byron. I give him a 42, but I can't dance to him. Orator. Oh, Titus, bring your friend hither. And founder of the Dead Poet Society. A bunch of guys sitting around reading poetry. No. Ding. Thank you for playing anyway. What was the Dead Poets Society? The Dead Poets dedicated to sucking the marrow out of life. Spirits soared, women swooned, and gods were created. Not a bad way to spend an evening, eh? I hereby reconvene the Dead Poets Society. To strive, to seek, to find. Gotta do more, gotta be more! <laughs> Dare to walk a new path. Dare to strike out and find new ground. I'm hearing rumors, John, about some unorthodox teaching methods in your classroom. Break out. I'm gonna do it! John Keating. He began by teaching English. Now he's changing lives. I got the part! Tear out the entire introduction. Who put you up to it? Was it this new man, this uh, Mr. Keating? Are we just playing around out here, or do we mean what we say? Vision, honor, discipline, rip, Fred, tear. What is this dead poet society? I want names. This is a battle, a war. The casualties could be your hearts and souls. For the first time in my whole life, I know what I want to do. Medicine, law, business, engineering. These are noble pursuits. Poetry, romance, love. These are what we stay alive for. That's beautiful. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. Yes! Sit down. What the hell is going on here? Seize the day. Touchstone Pictures presents Robin Williams as John Keating. He was the inspiration that made their lives extraordinary. Dead Poet Society. All right, guys. Our director this week is Peter Weir. He directed The Truman Show. Yeah. Which we've not done yet on main feed, but who knows? <laughs> but he's known for things like uh, Gallipoli, Gallipoli, Gallipoli from 1981. <laughs> it's an Australian war drama. You know Gallipoli. <laughs> I'm sorry she doesn't know Gallipoli. <laughs> I can't. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Oh. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World? Oh, Lord, that's that Russell Crowe movie. He's a six-time Academy Award nominee. That's nice. So, written by Tom Schulman. I thought this was based on a play or a <laughs> novel. No, no. Completely original story. Completely original script for the film. Schulman's just here to break our hearts. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dead Poet Society's like, his thing. Yeah. You know, like... It's his biggest, most known cred. That is his contribution. He won an Oscar for writing Dead Poet Society. That is his verse. It is. That's it is so nice. <laughs> he was hired halfway through shooting Honey, I Shrunk the Kids to rewrite the script. That's so funny. Yeah, he saved <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, apparently. <laughs> this film made... <laughs> 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 it was a disappointed look in my eyes, wasn't it? <laughs> like, oh, I can't, I can't do, do that math. <laughs> this film made almost $220 million in 1989, 1990. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's a summer movie. 
Of course it is. June 1989. Because it takes place in the fall semester. This could have very well been one of the first movies our parents went to see as a married couple. Oh, stop it. In the theater. Stop. They got married in April and probably wasn't getting a lot done in May, am I right? Stop. (laughs) Absolutely stop. That's awful. I'm sorry. How awful of me. Uh, Anyway. You might have guessed it, folks, but we've got names. As educator John Keating, we have... The one, the only, quintessential. Could you tell? Robin Williams. <laughs> oh my God. Guys, he's been with us countless times. He was with us when we covered Mrs. Doubtfire. He was with us when we covered Hook. My he was, favorite movie. He was with us when we covered Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. He was with us when we covered uh, The Birdcage. He was with us when we covered Jumanji. He was with us when we covered. Oh, that might be it. I feel like there's another. <laughs> I know. But Corey, I can... which one is it? You're the one doing the math on this. <laughs> Hopefully you're still listening. One of, the, one of the greatest actors that ever lived. One of the greatest entertainers that ever lived. A comedian. A colossus. I just... Wasn't your entire point that you were shocked that he was not in more of the movie? I th- he, his Ron Williams' screen time in this movie does not amount to a lot of other characters. And that's okay. Yeah. It's just... I feel like Robin Williams is the main character in everything, despite the fact of his screen time. Like, I feel like Robin Williams is the main character in Tu Wong Fu, <laughs> but he's there for five minutes in the beginning and never seen again. I know. I would consider Robin Williams starring in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, despite <laughs> the fact he is in it for the last five minutes. So, no, I think I think I can feel him deliberately not being distracting. You know what I mean? No, exactly. No, yeah. You appreciate him when he's on screen, but it's not like, oh, when are we going to get Robin back, you know, as you're yeah. watching the rest of the movie. <laughs> not like when Lady Gaga disappeared from House of Gucci for 20 minutes and it was the longest 20 minutes of our lives. Harry. <laughs> I was like that feverishly checking my phone. When is this movie going to be over? Where's Gaga? Why? When Jared Leto <laughs> was on the screen in that fucking... Creature costume. <laughs> Creature costume. That Gucci costume <laughs> for like half an hour. I was like, why are we in Jared's part of the movie? <laughs> Should have gone for a long shit during that part of the movie. Sorry, this is not about House of Gucci, which I completely forgot about until you just brought it up. House of Gucci had exited my mind. You just reminded me. <laughs> it's a me, Jared Leto. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm very sorry. Portraying (sighs) student Neil Perry. Oh no. We've got. Stop it. Mm. You cannot be this way. We've got a 20-year-old Robert Sean Leonard. <laughs> yeah. He's, mm. He's very pretty. He's so cute. <laughs> He's adorable. He is my type. <laughs> so adorable. Look at that face. Look at that face. <laughs> just uh, pinch that face. You guys will know him as the kid from Dead Poet Society. <laughs> Thank you. You yes. will also know him if you're Carrie. <laughs> Or, you know, 
our many adoring fans. Millions of other people. Dr. James Wilson from House. I loved him on House. He mm-hmm. was perfect for that role. He's also more notable on the stage, you know. Oh, he's in Branna's Much Ado. Mm-hmm. And he's hella adorable in that too. Ross, he's in a military uniform, like a like no. a Renaissance military uniform oh. with the sol- shoulders. Oh, man. You gotta. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Gary, yeah, he won the Tony Award for The Invention of Love in 2001. He did Long Day's Journey into Night. He did Philadelphia Ooh. on the stage. Mm-hmm. He's done To Kill a Mockingbird, and you know who he was. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, and The Music Man. <laughs> Portraying Todd Anderson, another merry fellow. <laughs> well, he's not very merry. <laughs> we have Ethan Hawke. I think Ethan Hawke is also tasty, even today. I'm sorry about my lechery about these very cute young men, folks. It's just, woo. Oh, my God. You'll know him from um, Explorers. He was in the black phone. That's right. That thing from like two years ago, that horror thing. <laughs> As Knox Overstreet, we have Josh Charles. You'll know him from Sports Night, which is an Aaron Sorkin. Oh, gross. This movie is Sorkin-esque. It, it is. You know, like. It is because it's a bunch of white men trying to be intellectual. You know that like half the cast of the West Wing when they were boys. <laughs> we're auditioning. We're doing Dead Poet Society-esque things, you know. <laughs> As Charlie Dalton, we have Gail Hansen. He is known for portraying um, Charlie Dalton in Dead Poets Society. <laughs> is this his biggest cred? Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that as a yes. As uh, uh, another student, Richard Cameron, we have Dylan Cussman. Um, he's from The Way of the Gun and Leatherheads and Jack Reacher. Oh. He's also, he also wrote The New Mummy. Really? Um. <laughs> that came out of left field. Okay. And as Stephen Meeks, we have Alelon Ruggiero. You will know him as Stephen Meeks <laughs> from Dead Poets Society. All I right. literally see hardly anything else. <laughs> Filmography. Just to see. Oh, he's, he's in 12 Monkeys. Ooh, the mirror has two faces. <laughs> Not Mannequin 2 on the move. <laughs> do you know about Mannequin? I do. Do you? We can build a straight together. I, I, okay. <laughs> As Gerard Pitts, Pitsy, <laughs> we have James Waterston. He's known for playing Pitsy in Dead Poets Society. I think you can agree. <laughs> oh, there's three, <laughs> three things there. Oh, he was in Oppenheimer from 1980. I wonder, really? I wonder what that is. <laughs> He's also on Law & Order. Of course he is. He's in an episode called Inconceivable. Oh, yeah. Playing a Mr. Harvey. Yeah, I remember that one. Mm. Mm, And Chicago Fire. See, he's making the rounds. (laughs) He's doing all the procedurals. You go, Pitsy, you go. Portraying uh, Dr. Gail Nolan, we have Norman Lloyd. You'll know him from Trainwreck. It's from like the 20s, so you won't know him. (laughs) As Thomas Perry, Neil's father, we have Kurtwood Smith and his gigantic forehead. (laughs) He's Clarence Boddicker? He's Clarence Boddicker from RoboCop. Yeah. He's Red Foreman from that 70s show and that 90s show, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah. (laughs) He's in Rambo 3. It's the most random CV I've ever heard. He plays old man Peterson on the ranch, you know, with Ashton Kutcher. (laughs) With Ashton Kutcher. He's been on X-Files, Lou Grant, Star Trek, regular show. (laughs) 
Kurt, we are so happy to have you and the forehead here. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> Be nice. And portraying Chris Knoll... Knox's love interest in Cheerleader at Ridgeway High. We will be skating through parts of that subplot. We have Alexandra Powers. You will know her as Chris Knoll from <laughs> Dead Poets Society. All right, you've made your point. All a right. lot of the supporting characters, this is their best known thing. I don't think there's a lot else we need to mention here. Oh, no, no, Why? Because no, no. it's been, what, 30 minutes? <laughs> it's been 20 minutes. All right. All right, guys. To start out... <laughs> Are you going to be okay? It's 1959. We are at Welton Academy, an all-boys preparatory school in Vermont in 1959. And this place is one of those private schools that lives and breathes on its austerity and pomp and circumstance. This opener is all you need to see. <laughs> like, they have four pillars of success? I guess. At Welton Academy, do you remember what they are? Vision. Honor, discipline, excellence. It boasts itself as an incubator for the Ivy League. Parts of it are giving just another brick in the wall vibes. I, I mean, like, when that guy's giving that opening speech to Nolan, right? Yeah, the headmaster. When, when he's talking at the beginning, I'm sorry if you're not there yet, but, like, when he's <laughs> talking at the beginning... And he's like, we gather here in this sacred hall that generations of men before us have farted and died in, you know, like... <laughs> I, that's not what he says, obviously, but that's the vibe. Like, yeah. it's like, wow. I just feel like if I was a boy coming into this school, I'd be like, I'm going to get bullied. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be able to uphold these standards. Oh, my parents are going to be disappointed or in me. Or even worse, I'll end up teaching here. Oh, no. And die here <laughs> and have to haunt this building. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... No, you're right. It's just, it seems like misery. And we're at the beginning of the term. All the parents are leaving their boys here. And I'm like, yikes, all these crying boys. Oh, I don't want to go? Yeah, I don't, they don't want to be separated from their families. What's the thing about boarding school? You yeah. know why you went to boarding school? Because your parents couldn't handle you for some reason. Or it's what happened to them, so they thought it should happen to you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not good. And, like, you just don't... When you don't have a firm home foundation for all them formative years, it's not hard. It's like, it's hard. You know, maybe the school was a home foundation for some of those boys, but we're really going to talk a lot about how we just warp all the men. We <laughs> yeah. just warp them. It's from the get-go. <laughs> Starting his junior year this year, we have Todd Anderson, played by babyest of Ethan Hawks. He's a nervous sort of kid. He's got a lot to live up to with his family name because they're legacies. Every every young man starts out life with something to fucking prove. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like... Poor Ethan Hawk. Or excuse me. Poor Todd. I can't <laughs> Can we call, just call him Ethan Hawk. <laughs> no, I, can't. I don't want to call him Todd. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't seem like a Todd to me. And Todd is assigned a roommate, senior Neil Perry, played by the gorgeous Robert Sean Leonard. New headcanon just dropped. Stop it. Ethan Hawke is cute, Robert <laughs> Sean Leonard is cute, and I can have whatever headcanon I want. Okay, fine. <laughs> hey, I hear we're going to be roommates. I'm Neil Perry. I'm Todd Anderson. Why'd you leave Ballincrest? My brother went here. Oh, so you're that Henderson. Neil's real friendly and charismatic. He's a golden boy in his own right. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Stop. All right. He's so nice and helpful. I know. To all of those boys. Uh-huh. He's like their little leader. Like their big brother almost. He's the heart. He is. He's the heart of the group, you yeah. know? And it's like, that was the thing about this movie that kind of like was off-putting for me. 
None of these boys are as mean as they should be. Oh, you mean based on their environment? For 1959, they should be way more mean. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. Sorry, Shulman. I'm not I'm not criticizing that. I'm just like, I don't trust it, you know? <laughs> I don't trust how nice they're being to one another. Neil's biggest problem is his father, Thomas Perry, who is so fixated on his son's academic trajectory that he doesn't care how miserable he is as long as he's making good grades so he can get into medical school. Hey, Tom, choke. (laughs) Yeah, you can just choke right now. Because this is where you send your kid if you want them to be a doctor or a a lawyer or, you know, a businessman. Which, whatever. I know. How come I couldn't get that? I actually want to be a lawyer. Why couldn't (laughs) I get this schooling? (laughs) You wanted to go away to private school? Not at the time. Not when I was a kid. (laughs) Oh, you would have been hella bullied. Oh, you know what? That's okay. (laughs) Neil Perry would have protected me. (laughs) Okay! With his pretty smiles and nice ways. All right. Dad wants him to drop out of the yearbook for his senior year, even though he's assistant editor. And like, when Neil protests, Thomas gets persnickety with him. Don't you ever dispute me in public, you understand? Father, I wasn't disputing you. After you finished medical school and you're on your own, then you can do as you damn well please. But until then, you do as I tell you. Is that clear? Sir, I'm sorry. Like, like he's refusing to do well. Uh-huh. Like, I just, Tom, Tom, uh, the kid's a good student. Let him do what he wants. Yeah, he's got good grades. What do you care if he's doing yearbook? And unfortunately, the dynamic between Neil and his dad will be hyper-relevant to the rest of the film. I wish we could just go on with our lives and not talk about dad again. Neil has already gotten the swing of things around here, and he introduces Todd to his list of friends. There's a lot of boys in this movie, guys, and I promise you, you won't have to keep track of them for it. List them for me. Okay, we have Knox Overstreet. Cute. We have Stephen Meeks. Cute. Charlie Dalton. Cute. Richard Cameron. Cute. (laughs) And uh, Pitsy. I forget Pitsy's actual name. Also cute. (laughs) They all kind of have a glib attitude about going to school here. I love it when they're joking around about the four pillars. Gentlemen, what are the four pillars? <laughs> Travesty, horror, decadence, excrement. Travesty, horror, decadence, and excrement. Not excrement. <laughs> Not excrement. <laughs> And, like, even though they are kind of your typical irritating high school boys, they're still good friends to Neil and support him through all his dad's nonsense. And willing to tolerate Todd. (laughs) Yeah. Todd's not being a bother. He's just very awkward. No, Todd's whole vibe is, for the love of God, please don't perceive me. Yeah, God love him. And so we see the boys' first couple of classes for the day, for the first day of term, and it's going as boring as you'd expect in this century-old boys' prep school. I was nodding off just listening to some of these stuffy old professors talk. I can't imagine having to learn that way. Before, teachers gave a fuck to make it fun. I know! I at least had educators throughout my time that made it fun. Yeah. You know, like... And weren't all about the books and so clinical about it. And then we go to English, where there's a new professor in town. Oh yeah, he got introduced at the first assembly. They were like, yeah, it's that guy, new guy, John Keating, all the way from England. Yeah, he's just transferred here. And when he walks into that room, all the boys go dead quiet because that's what they've been trained to do. Yeah. And he's just whistling, walking through the room and goes out the back door of the classroom. And all the boys are like, what? He leans back in the door. Well, come on. (laughs) He didn't say anything, John. (laughs) And they're all, they, the way they all hesitate. I know. They're like. Okay, I guess we're leaving. And they all follow him out into the hallway, and this is where he starts in with the famous, oh, captain, my captain, shtick. 
he asks if anybody knows what Oh Captain, My Captain is. And of course they don't know, because these boys aren't focusing on language arts. Their parents all want them to be doctors and lawyers and bankers, and we don't have time for Oh Captain, My Captain. This movie did make me want to go back to sophomore English Uh when you do the poetry, you know? I love the poetry units. Most students in America do poetry in their sophomore year. When we went to the Transcendentalist Poets. Yeah. And all the poets you're hearing about in this movie. Yeah. I just, it was my favorite part. It was the most evocative to me, you know? Uh-huh. Hence why they've been taught generation after generation since they were written, you know? It's from a poem by Walt Whitman about Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Now, in this class, you can either call me Mr. Keating, or if you're slightly more daring, oh, Captain, my Captain. He sets these boys at ease almost immediately because he's nothing like these other teachers at Welton. It might just be that he's being a person to yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, I and know what you mean. not a droning old crone in the corner waiting to die, you know, like... Well, first of all, he's giving a lecture in the hallway. Yeah, no. And he's... We're very- having class outside. <laughs> yeah. And he's very informal with them. He's laughing. He's joking. He's not trying to maintain this power dynamic with them. And he's trying to impart upon them the concept of making one's life extraordinary. Yeah, like, he's basically just telling these young men, listen, you all have a prescription for your life. And it is up to you to make more of it than that. And that's when he introduces them to the phrase carpe diem. Seize the day. And now I'm in Newsies. (laughs) (laughs) Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding. Thanks for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. He's like, seize the day and live your lives because you could all be dead tomorrow. Quite literally. Because that's what he's like, listen, because he's showing them all the old photographs of all the old students. In the trophy case. And he's like, lean close. You can hear what they say. And in his very cartoonish Robin Williams way, starts whispering and... So that's a weird first day of English. Yeah. Didn't expect it to get that existential. No. And the boys in the dormitory all have these study groups a couple of times a week to keep up on their schoolwork. And we see Knox coming home from this stuffy dinner at the home of the Danberries. I think they're friends of his parents. And they have a son named Chet who's like the quarterback of the local high school. I hate that name. Chet. If it's not on a cartoon, (laughs) I hate that name. Like Chet, you betcha? I never... My favorite Chet. (laughs) And Chet's got himself a little girlfriend named Chris. Oh, Chris. And uh, she's a cheerleader, and she's the one who answers the door for Knox. Yes. And he's immediately Twitter-pated. She's hot, young, and blonde, and in 1959, you know? Yeah, and... She goes to a regular high school... She's not all uptight like all the people he knows, you know. Tonight, I met the most beautiful girl I have ever seen in my entire life. Are you crazy? What's wrong with that? She's practically engaged to Chet Danbury. You got to get football. Too bad. Too bad. It's worse than too bad, Pitsy. It's a tragedy. A girl this beautiful in love with such a jerk. 
And so now he's afflicted with affection for her, like, and will remain so the rest of the movie. Which is how men did it back then. They still do it that way. <laughs> just you, look at a woman and... You're in love. <laughs> how do you just... I've never done that. Love at first sight, I believe it can be a thing, but, like, it has to go both ways, right? Like... <laughs> yeah, otherwise it's stalking. Period. <laughs> Thank you. The next scene we see in Keating's class, they're opening up the textbooks that uh, have this really boring foreword about how to, quote, understand poetry. Yeah, uh, what's his name? What's the guy's name? Pritchard? Pritchard, yeah. (laughs) Pritchard's actually proffered that you can measure the quality of a poem using math. Immediately lost. (laughs) Math makes nothing fun. By like nothing. Plotting it on a plotting it on like a diagram. I can have respect for numbers and hate math. <laughs> but this is not the place for math. I'm I'm cringing. Keep the math out of poetry. And so is Keating. Keating's like, I cannot let these young men <laughs> believe that there is also a prescription for fucking poetry. How can you describe poetry like American bandstand? Well, I like Byron. I give him a 42, but I can't dance to it. Now I want you to rip out that page. Go on. Rip out the entire page. Thank you, Mr. Dalton. Gentlemen, tell you what, not just tear out that page, tear out the entire introduction. I want it gone. History, leave nothing of it. This is the one of the most famous bits from the movie, right? Oh, yeah, because they're being asked to defile a school textbook by, a, by an educator. Just rip out that entire introduction. Go on, do it. It's not the Bible. You're not going to hell for doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like he's trying to teach them some rebellion, like rejecting those stuffy old academics and, by extension, their environment. There is this Super Bowl commercial. I believe it is for Apple okay, or some sort of cell carrier or service provider. I can't exactly remember. You'll have to go find it and tweet the link once we get done. But like I, I saw this on television one time and I, this ad starts playing and it's all of these people doing adventurous things, driving fast cars and sledding down big mountains and like going skydiving and like all these daring things. And the man who's speaking over it is reading this beautiful piece of text. And I slowly realized it's Robin Williams. And I was like, oh, wow, that's Robin Williams. I can hear it in the voice. And what he read was just beautiful. And I went to go look it up. And this was like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And I went to go look it up. And it's what we're about to talk about. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll have to let you watch it when we're done. Because it, it's like, because you know me, I hate ads. Like I, <laughs> like, I love Mad Men, but I hate ads, you know? And it's like, they're, they're annoying, they're predatory, whatever. But it was one of the first advertisements I'd seen in a long time that affected me. Aww. And when I went and looked it up, that the monologue from the ad was the monologue we're about to talk about from oh, this movie. I can't wait. Okay, so let's get into it. Because Keating's point here is that poetry is not something to be analyzed, and cataloged, and put away. Poetry has everything to do with life. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, 
of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? I have an intellectual chubby. <laughs> oh, Ross. I love that. I know. Like. I, I know. I, I would like to contribute a verse. Like, <laughs> wouldn't you? It fills you up. I know. And everybody, I feel like everybody has that in their head, that dream what they want to contribute. Yeah. You know? And like the boys, the bo- this is the first time in these young boys' lives that they have likely been asked this question. Their faces are lighting up like Christmas. They've just been obeying their parents their whole lives and never asking themselves what they wanted to contribute to the world. Yeah, they're literally thinking for the first time, I feel like. These poor young men who thought, I probably won't have to think a lot my whole life. We talked about this, we talked about madmen. Yeah. Men in these times. They don't know what emotions are. Yeah. They've never thought very deeply about them. All they know is urges. Uh-huh. <laughs> All they know is urges and restraints. They've never thought deeply about their lives because they know how they're going to go already. Yeah. And Oh, it's so sad. Keating is like, hey, there's actually more to life than your small little world and mm-hmm. what your parents want you to do in that small little world. The boys dig up the yearbook from when Keating was a student at Welton, and they notice that among his extracurriculars, he's listed the Dead Poets Society. And when they ask him about it, he tells them that he and his friends used to go off campus to, like, this old cave, right? Mm. For, like, late-night sessions of poetry readings, all the classics, their own stuff. And, like, Neil is listening to this, and there's, like, a little light bulb going off over his head. He's immediately inspired. Mm-hmm. All right. Who's in? Oh, come on, Neil. Hager's there. Forget Hager. No. Who's in? I'm in. I'm warning you! Oh! Me too. I don't know, Neil. What? Pitts! Pitsy, come on! His grades are hurting, Charlie. You can help him, Meeks. What is this, a midnight study group? Forget it, Pitts, you're coming. Meeks, your grades hurting too? I'll try anything once. Except sex. Uh-huh. I mean, as long as we're careful. And all the boys, for one reason or another, all the boys say yes. It's incredibly unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, like, It's incredibly surprising to me. Like these five or six boys who are now just going to systematically sneak off campus all the time and misbehave in a cave. Well, if all your cute friends wanted to go read poetry <laughs> in a cave at night, wouldn't you? Like, Even Todd says yes, as long as he doesn't have to read out loud. The sequence where they sneak off. They're getting ready to sneak out, and Neil finds this very old book that has mysteriously appeared on the desk in his room. And he opens it up, and it has Keating's name in the front. Yeah, no, that... John. (laughs) John. And he's written in it to be read at the beginning of Dead Poet Society meetings. And it's that quote from Walden by Thoreau. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately... It's that whole transcendentalist, let's stand in the woods and let the sun hit you through the trees and, like, feel alive, you know? Hey, that sounds amazing right now. It is a real thing. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Thoreau. Thank you, Emerson. (laughs) They go out to the cave, and Neil reads it aloud. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. 
I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. I'll second that. <laughs> to put to rout all that was not life, and not when I had come to die, discover that I had not lived. They start telling ghost stories. Charlie reads a Cowley poem that he's written on the back of a Playboy centerfold. What the, oh, yeah. <laughs> they all have their flashlights on the boobs. <laughs> they're reading aloud and banging on metal pans and having a good old time. Like, I can't believe they're not worried they're going to be found making all that noise. They're way out in the middle of nowhere. That's <laughs> definitely the cave where some witch lived 300 years ago. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> The next day, we get another famous bit from Keating's lessons, the standing on the desk, right? Oh, yeah. Because we're talking about Shakespeare, which, like many of us in middle school, made all of our eyes roll. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, no, we got to do Shakespeare. Yeah. I can't understand it. All the words are different. And then they give you the dumbed-down version and you feel more <laughs> stupid, you know? But Keating says it's all about how you look at it, right? Yeah. And this is exactly the same intellectualization I had that, you know, brought me around to liking Shakespeare. Now, many of you have seen Shakespeare done very much like this. Oh, Titus, bring your friend hither. <laughs> but if any of you have seen Mr. Marlon Brando, no, that Shakespeare can be different. France, Romans, countrymen. Let me rest. You can also imagine maybe John Wayne is Macbeth going, Well, is this a dagger I see before me? <laughs> He's doing impressions of John Wayne and Marlon Brando, and it kind of makes it fun. Yeah. <laughs> He's Michelle Pfeiffer in that one movie. Well, he did this first. Then Michelle Pfeiffer did it. <laughs> and then Aaron. And then, and then Hillary <laughs> Swank did it. <laughs> uh, Keating tells them all to jump up on the desk and take a look around, because even though it feels really silly to be up there, it changes your perspective. Which, I mean, is so important to teach them. Yeah. To change your perspective. It's the only way you move through life with any meaning. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it in another way. Even though it may seem silly or wrong, you must try. Now, when you read, don't just consider what the author thinks. Consider what you think. Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. Because the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. At the end of class, Keating assigns them all the task of authoring their own poem. Great. And to Todd's horror, they will have to read it in front of the class. The way, the way Keating is fucking with Todd about it, too. <laughs> I can tell this terrifies you. Yeah. <laughs> the lecture has affected Neil as well because he's decided that he's going to try out for a local production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. My baby has dreams. I know, I know. Oh, my sweet baby angel, he wants to act. He wants to be a star. <laughs> and he says, I've known it my whole life. I'm going to act. Ah! Yes! Yes! I'm going to be an actor. Ever since I can remember, I wanted to try this. I even tried to go to summer stock auditions last year, but of course my father wouldn't let me. For the first time in my whole life, I know what I want to do. And for the first time, I'm going to do it! Whether my father wants me to or not, Carpe Diem! When he's telling Todd and how excited he is about it, and Todd's like, what do you want? Like, what do you want me to say? Like, <laughs> great, good for you. And Neil's like, I don't know, I just thought you could be a little bit happier for me, dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's so 
Todd is so full of nothing right now. He wanted to rush back to his room to tell his boyfriend about his (laughs) (laughs) self-realization. There's nothing like seeing a young person with that beaming hope behind their eyes. It's absolutely magical. I'm going to tear myself apart later. (laughs) I know. Physically. I'll be here to hold your hand when we get there. You'll be here to pick up the pieces. (laughs) Yep. Thanks. And I know what you're thinking. Neil's dad is going to have a problem with this. But Neil decides that he would rather beg forgiveness than ask permission. And if everything goes the way he wants, dad won't even have to know about the play. This will go well. (laughs) Yeah. And Neil's not the only one who's getting extracurricular with Keating's teachings. Knox is going off campus to visit Chris. Well, more like stalker. He, like, stands on the edge of the athletic field. This is the hetero part of the narrative. (laughs) That we are gliding through. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's very discouraged about being significantly less attractive than this football player boyfriend of hers. Which he's not. I'm sorry. Knox (laughs) is cuter than Chet. He just is. Mostly because his name's not Chet. Yeah. Oh, my God. My my legs close like a steel trap. (laughs) Chet. Just say Chester. That has more flair than Chet. Guys, Neil gets the part of Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh yeah. It's perfect for him. Ross, he's the narrator, basically. Yeah. yeah, no, it's really great for him. I have also done a Midsummer Night's Dream, <laughs> which is like the one thing you did not see me do on the Greenfield stage. And I wish I had. Because I was Nick Bottom. <laughs> you were the ass. I was in the troupe of actors. <laughs> And Sada was Titania. They thought they were in love with me the whole time. (laughs) This ass? (laughs) And then the fake play within a play. It's a great show. It's one of my fave Shakespeare's. No matter how many times people try to explain the plot to me, I'm always confused. It's literally just about a bunch of people getting married in the woods and they're all on drugs and or under spells. And it's basically fairies fucking with humans in the woods at night. Charlie, I got the part! I'm gonna play Puck! I'm gonna play Puck! What did he say? Puck? Yeah. This is the main part. Great deal. Charlie, I got it! Good for you, Neil. Good for you. He's so excited and so happy, it makes me well up with tears. It's like he's been asleep for his entire life, and he's awake, and he can never go back. A young man with passion in his eyes. Oh, no. (laughs) He's so happy, he's not even nervous about having to forge a permission letter from his father so he can participate. Yeah. Like, he's just, he's like, oh yeah, I could get in so much trouble for this, but I'm doing it anyway. So he's got a lot going on, but his boyfriend Todd also has a lot going on. Todd is agonizing over this poem assignment, and he keeps making drafts and hating everything he puts down on paper. I have in parentheses, God, we've all been there. Yeah, no, 100%. (laughs) And the day the assignment is due, when they have to read them aloud, he's one of the only ones, I think he's the only one, who does not have a poem to read. Some of the other boys barely broke a sweat, Yeah, but they at least put something down. Well, do you ever write something out, and you look at it, and you read it back, and you go... I should just go bury myself in the backyard. Constantly. Yeah, it's like... It's a const- I have the biggest case of imposter syndrome. Why am I even here trying? You know, like... And that's what's going on with Todd. He's not even going to submit anything to avoid the humiliation. Come on, Todd, step up. Let's put you out of your misery. I, I didn't do it. I didn't write it, Paul. Mr. Anderson thinks that everything inside of him is worthless and embarrassing. Isn't that right, Todd? That's your worst fear. I think you're wrong. 
I think you have something inside of you that is worth a great deal. Mr. Anderson believes that everything inside of him is worthless and embarrassing. Okay, Keating. All right, John. <laughs> is he wrong, though? I get it. And I'd like, here's the thing. I would have liked a lot more background on Todd. Yeah. And we don't get a lot of background on Todd. Just that he's an older brother. Just yeah, that he's a legacy attendee of this school. He's and got that... an older brother, and that's about it. It's like, it's like what Ron Weasley tells Harry Potter at the beginning of Harry Potter. It doesn't matter what I do, because my siblings have already done it. Oh, that sucks. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and instead of reprimanding him in front of the entire class, Keating takes a different tack and writes this quote up on the board from Walt Whitman, or Uncle Walt, as he affectionately calls him. He has a picture of him above the blackboard. <laughs> I sound my barbaric yop from the rooftops of the world. Walt! <laughs> Be quiet. People are trying to sleep. I like the word yop, though. Yeah. It's got some character to it. Yeah. And then Keating makes Todd get up so he can demonstrate. He's trying to get Todd out of his head so he can let that creative energy flow. And it's really brilliant to watch trying to get him to describe Walt Whitman from his picture and then like having him close his eyes and just saying whatever comes to mind. Let him hear it. Let him hear a little bit of Todd. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. <laughs> Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it, it'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it, it'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. At the end of it, Keating is so proud of him. Yeah. And all the other boys are just awestruck. Everyone's jealous and wants to be his boyfriend now, too. You can tell that they feel like they've witnessed something mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. Like, and just, it's like, that's it. All he had to do was get out of his own head. Powerful stuff. And all of a sudden, he's a poet. He's a poet, and he didn't even know it. <laughs> get the fuck out. You are fired. Mid-show. Mid-show, and I'm firing you. He's already mad because of the ending, and now I'm giving him a new reason. You better get. <laughs> You better get through this, okay? Keating continues to influence the other boys as well. Charlie is rediscovering his love of playing the saxophone, and Knox is getting over a lot of his anxieties about Chris. Who cares? I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, as the go as that plotline goes on, it starts becoming less about Chris, I think, and more about the fact that he's just going for it. No, no, yeah, he's 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 getting his chutzpah. He's seizing the day. Yes, he's he is. quite literally doing what Keating taught him. He finally nuts up and calls her, and she's real excited to hear from him. Hello, Chris? Yes. Hi, this is Knox Overstreet. <laughs> oh, yes, it's Knox. I'm glad you called. Listen, Chet's parents are going out of town this weekend. They're just having a party. Would you like to come? Would I like to come to a party? Yes. Friday, yes. Well, sure. Okay, great. I I'll be there, Chris. She invites him to a party at Chet's parents' house while they're out of town Friday night. Which, I mean, who's going to be there? <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I know. I don't. I feel like that's the thing. He'll do anything to spend time with her. Yeah. Even be in the presence of her boyfriend. But when he goes, I know it's a makeout party, right? <laughs> yeah, it's and a makeout party. Chris is already spoken for, and <laughs> he has no one to make out with. Yeah, he's just going. 
to this party stag while the other boys stay behind and bring girls into the cave to woo them with poetry. Oh my god. He's just getting more and more intoxicated. That's the thing. It's everything high school parties are made of. All the underage drinking, all of the making out, all of the loud music. Luckily, everyone is too drunk to realize he doesn't go to their school. Yeah. (laughs) Knox can't get a moment alone with Chris, so he has to resort to sitting down next to her on a couch where she's already out like a light. I bet it's 930. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've probably been drinking since seven. And he gives her this little kiss on the forehead while she's sleeping, which Knox, settle down. He whispers to himself, seize the day. Uh, And then gives her a little peck. And one of the other football players sees this and brings it to Chet's attention, and Chet takes that as license to go ballistic. Yeah, um, because he owns her, right? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's how he thinks. If she's wearing my pin, that means she's mine. Oh, man. I hate 1959. (laughs) I know, me too. Fuck 1959. What the hell are you doing? Chet, don't. Chet, I I know this looks bad. No, no, Get the hell away from him! Chet, you heard him! Good! I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Next time I see you, you die. <laughs> yeah, like what? That's insane, bro! Over a girl? Over a girl. So that ends with Knox getting a bloody nose. Meanwhile, back in the cave, Dalton is announcing to the entire group and the girls they brought back here that he has anonymously submitted an article for the school newspaper an open letter demanding that girls be admitted to Welton. Are we just playing around out here, or do we mean what we say? If all we do is come together and read a bunch of poems to each other, what the hell are we doing? All right, but you still shouldn't have done it, Charlie. This could mean trouble. You don't speak for the club. Hey, would you not worry about your precious little neck? If they catch me, I'll tell them I made it up. How revolutionary. (laughs) You know what? I didn't expect that move, and I certainly didn't expect it out of Dalton. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, how dare he suggest that women be allowed to be educated in such a hallowed place where so many men have farted themselves to death. Yeah, that's what the whole of the administration is going to look at it as. Like, the way that he's like, listen, if it comes back on me, I'll just say... I don't know, because he, he names them, right? Signed the Dead Poet Society. Yeah, right? And so he's like, if it comes back on me, I'll say you made it up. Yeah. Immediately, there's an assembly. <laughs> Immediately. Oh, oh, yeah. Cut to the entire student body in this assembly hall. The headmaster gets up there and starts reading the entire school, the riot act. This week's issue of Welton Donna, there appeared a profane and unauthorized article. Rather than spend my valuable time ferreting out the guilty persons. And let me assure you, I will find them. I'm asking any and all students who know anything about this article to make themselves known here and now. And listen, Dalton could have just laid low here, because the boys are already kind of pissed that he did this without consulting them, and they're all afraid that they're going to get disciplined over this. Yeah. And Dalton could have just kept his humongous mouth shut. But instead, he makes a spectacle out of himself in the middle of the assembly. The phone ringing. When the phone starts ringing. (laughs) Welton Academy, hello. Yes, he is. Just a moment. Mr. Nolan, it's for you. It's God. He says we should have girls at Welton. (laughs) 
It's honestly so funny. <laughs> because God's the only person these men listen to, right? The men on the board? Yeah. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> It's God. Also, it, the, he says women are people too. Does that phone not need to be plugged into the wall? He's it, in a pew in the middle of the room. It is, and one of them is outside calling. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, it's gotta be, right? We cut to Dalton standing in Nolan's office, very pleased with himself. And the thing is, is that I forgot that this was a thing that used to be legal. Oh, the beatings in school. Nolan is spanking this 18-year-old young man with a paddle that has holes drilled in it to cut the wind resistance. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Makes it sting worse. Our parents were paddled in high school. And I hate that for them. In 1980-whatever-the-hell-they-were-being-paddled-in-high-school. That tweet that's making the rounds lately that's like, Oh, I got beat and I turned out okay. So you think it's okay to beat children? Yeah, then you didn't turn out okay. Count aloud, Mr. Dalton. One, two, three... What is this dead poet society? I want names. I have right to jail. I, I got right, ah! right to jail. This headmaster. is abuse. It is. This is abuse. The fact that a teacher or administrator could actually strike someone else's child with the blessing of the school and the child's parents. Oh, and then we get it from our parents. Well, you have it easy. You know, I used to get beat. And I'm like, okay, that should not have happened. Point you. <laughs> like... But Dalton's no snitch. He doesn't give anybody up. He doesn't name anybody in the Dead Poets Society. And now Nolan is having to go to Keating for answers because his opinion is that boys this age who can think for themselves are dangerous, right? Because they're so young and they lack wisdom. What was going on in the courtyard the other day? Courtyard? Yeah, boys marching, clapping in unison. Oh, that. That was an exercise to prove a point. Dangers of conformity. Well, John, the curriculum here is said it's proven it works. If you question it, what's to prevent them from doing the same? I always thought the idea of education was to learn to think for yourself. That these boys age not on your life. And so I'm like, so we should just keep them malleable and quiet? His whole vibe is like, if you don't keep these boys suppressed, before you know it, they'll just be the next Hitler. You know, like, yeah, like they'll get all sorts of ideas. Hitler was an artist. You don't want them to be artists. Oh, my God. You know, like, that's kind of his, that's not what he says, guys, but, like, that's his vibe. Like, I, like this club was just a thing when he was in school that he was a part of, and these boys have done this completely independently of him. All he did was give them a book. Yeah, no, it's like. It's like Dumbledore's army. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> I gave them the tools. It was their fault. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, Neil's dad is here. Christ on sale. I have no idea how he found out about the play. I think somebody's mother told him about it. Someone else who's in the play with him. And uh, when Neil comes back to his room from class that day, dad is just there, ready to chew him out over being involved in this play. This fucking... <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna have to bleep that. But like, I—that's how I feel. I know. Like, I, what a deep, gaping asshole with cysts and bumps that needs to be medicated. <laughs> Ross, it hasn't been washed. Stop. Sorry. I know. I just—he wants. 
wants him to quit the play, even though it's tomorrow night. The only thing he cares about is that Neil is disobeying him. Well, my niece is in a play with your son, says Mrs. Marks. No, 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 I say, you must be mistaken. My son's not in a play. You made a liar out of me, Neil. Now, tomorrow, you go to them, and you tell them that you're quitting. No, I can't. I have the main part. The performance is tomorrow night. I don't care if the world comes to an end tomorrow night. You are through with that play. He's never once asked this child what he would like to do with his life. Mm-hmm. No one ever cared. Exactly. No one ever cared. Because they figured his life out for him already. Well, they had to do what they had to do to survive. And their parents had to do what they had to do to survive. I get it. I understand why they feel they have a prescription for how their lives need to go. Mm -hmm. It's what they did. It's what they've been doing for generations. But we have to break the wheel. Yeah, exactly. We have to stop the cycle. And he is not going to do that. He's not the person who's stopping the cycle. And, but, but Neil is. I know. He's trying. I know. And like, he's just like, he can't confront him. He can't be honest with him because he knows it's going to be met with invalidation. Yeah. Oh, shit. He knows it's going to be met with invalidation and control. Yeah. It's so depressing. And Neil goes to Keating and asks him what he should do about Dad because he really wants to be in this play. He feels like acting is his life. He's planning the rest of my life for me, and he's never asked me what I want. Have you ever told your father what you just told me? About your passion for acting, you ever showed him that? I can't. Why not? I can't talk to him this way. And you're acting for him, too. You're playing the part of the dutiful son. Ooh, that hits me. Oh, that upsets me. He deserves an award for his biggest role in life. The dutiful son. Oh, Jesus Christ. Kurt Wood, you just made me hate you in this movie. I know. You just (laughs) did. Nothing's funny now, Kurtwood. <laughs> yeah, he's ruined him for you. There's no red foreman here. <laughs> Keating says you gotta talk to him. Like life is not, your life is not his whim, and if you're honest with him and he still doesn't understand, you'll be your own man soon. You'll be graduating. Like you're never gonna have to deal with him again soon if you don't want to. I want to reach back through the fictional timeline uh-huh. and hold his hand and tell him. It's not all end with your parents. Yeah. You know, like, I just, ugh. Day of the play, Keating asks Neil if he talked to his dad. Like, did you get everything straightened out? Is he understanding? Is he letting you be in the play? And for reasons I cannot explain, Neil lies. Did you talk to your father? Uh, he didn't like it one bit. But at least he's letting me stay in the play. He won't be able to make, make it. He's in Chicago. But, uh... I think he's going to let me stay with acting. Really? You told him what you told me? Yeah. He wasn't happy. I was going to say, is this a lie? It is a lie. Okay. It's a big, fat lie. He says, yeah, Dad's mad, but he'll probably let me keep acting as long as my grades don't suffer. He just couldn't do it. I know. He just couldn't do it. He could not broach that conversation. My poor sweet baby just couldn't do it, and Mm. I understand. Yeah, he's a young person. Like, what young man is prepared to stand up against his old man, especially in the 50s. He just doesn't want to suffer. He just wants to have this experience and not feel fucking bad about it. So as long as dad, 
<sighs> I know, I know, I know. I know. It's okay. Stay with me. Stay with this me. This is where you lost me. I know. Hold, just This is where you started playing games with me. I know, I know. Hold it in. <sighs> Hold it in. Chris shows up at Welton right as the boys are ready to leave for the play because Knox came to her school the day before and embarrassed the shit out of her. Oh, yeah. Read her a poem he wrote her out loud in front of everyone. Yeah. At her public high school. Are paying that diem and everything. I just... Yikes, Knox. <laughs> when she shows up and he's like, what are you doing here? You can't be here. And she's like, oh, I can't come and act crazy in your school, <laughs> but you can come act crazy in mine. It's fun for you to come barging into my school and make a complete fool out of me. I mean to make a fool out of you. Well, you did. I just found out, and it took everything I could do to keep him from coming here and killing you. Lux, you have got to stop this stuff. I can't, Chris. I love you. Lux, you say that over and over. You don't, you don't even know me. It's great. Chris, I support you. Chris is just like, listen, you're cute. Uh-huh. You're nice. <laughs> I don't know you. Yeah. You don't know me. Mm -hmm. You can't really be in love with me. My boyfriend <laughs> is going to end your bloodline yeah. if you look in the direction of my zip code. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... No, she's like, dude, I cannot be worth all this drama. And Knox, listen, persistence is not attractive generally, but... You know, I think Knox can tell this is more about her protecting his bodily state than actually not liking him. She's like, I don't know you, and I don't care about you as much as you think I do. And he's like, but, like, but like you're here. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you came all the way here to warn me. <laughs> about so your boyfriend. You must care a little bit. Are you going with him? <laughs> Jeff, to a play? Are you kidding? Then come with me. Knox, you are so infuriating. Come on, Chris, just give me one chance. If you don't like me after tonight, I'll stay away forever. Uh-huh. I promise. Dead poet's honor. You come with me tonight, and then if you don't want to see me again, I swear I'll bow out. And so she says yes. I mean, what the hell? At least it'll get him off her back if she doesn't like him. And they all go to the play, and all of the Dead Poet Society is there. Mr. Keating is there. They're all here to support Neil. Again, he's playing Puck, guys. He's got a lot of stage time. He's my little Mary Wanderer of the night! I know. I love him. And Ross, he's so excited to see them all there, and then he gets up there, and it's like he was born doing it. He's so good, I want to cry. You're a fucking asshole. For making you watch this movie? Like, I... <laughs> For putting you through this? Happy birthday, you <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> this is what you wanted. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> you wanted... I didn't want you emotionally you devastated. You wanted me in anguish. <laughs> anyway. And, like, it just... <laughs> seeing him that happy just fills me with joy. And what fills me with dread is the fact that Dad is standing in the back of the theater watching. Yeah, Kurtwood Smith just walks through the... I'm sorry. Tom just walks through the back, and he's standing there. If we shadows have offended, think about this and all is mended, that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear, and this weak and idle theme no more yielding but a dream. Gentles, do not reprehend. If you pardon, we will mend. And as I am an honest puck, if we have unearned luck, now to escape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long. Else the puck a liar call. So good night unto you all, 
Give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. It gets to the end, and the cast gets a standing ovation. Neil's friends are whooping and hollering for him when he takes a bow, and Dad never even cracks a smile. It's because he didn't have a Keating in his life. Oh, well... Tom never had a Keating in his life. You're right. He had all those mustaches, (laughs) farting themselves to death, (laughs) writing the prescriptions for his life, and he never thought deeply about anything. This doesn't evoke anything from Tom. I know. He sees it as a frivolous distraction and nothing more. And, like, I'm sorry, that... (sighs) Warping generations of men to be this hollow is exactly why we're dealing with the fall of our civilization. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I need you to keep it together. Yeah, I know. These next few minutes are tough. Tough! Which, by the way, guys... Trigger warning! Wish I'd gotten one. (laughs) Sorry, okay? I'm really sorry. I really didn't think this happened, Carrie. I know. I really did not think this is where this was ever gonna go. Because Dad drives Neil back to the family home, where Mom is very nervously waiting. It's just another confrontation. Yeah, Dad announces that Neil is going to military school, and he's still going to be a doctor, whether he likes it or not. We're trying very hard to understand why it is that you insist on defying us. Whatever the reason, we're not going to let you ruin your life. Tomorrow I'm withdrawing you from Welton and enrolling you in Brayton Military School. You're going to Harvard, and you're going to be a doctor. And you know, Neil's like, listen, I know you're mad, but that's like the next decade of my life. Uh You've got planned out there for me, and uh, I just really don't want to do it. All right, go on. Tell me what you feel. If it's more of this acting business, you can forget that. And Which is an immediate invalidation. I know. Of how he feels. Why even speak? I know. Why but, Why even go through it? Tell me what you feel. And if you tell me this, I'm going to completely ignore it. It should never be painful for your child to tell you anything. Yeah. Anything. And Neil can't form the words. He can't articulate it to his dad the way he could to Keating because dad just doesn't leave room for that in this family. It's what he says or nothing. If your child cannot tell you anything, you are failing as a parent, let me say. Yeah. You can be a parent who's trying and literally doesn't have the language or the self-work to understand them, but just to bulldoze it completely. Yeah. You don't understand, Neil. You have opportunities that I never even dreamt of, and I am not going to let you waste them. I've got to tell you what I feel. Tell me what you feel. What is it? Is it more of this, this acting business? Because you can forget that. He just says nothing. And after Dad leaves the room, Neil's just looking off into middle distance and saying to himself, I was good. I was really good. I'm glad he knew it. Yeah. Oh. I'm glad he knew it. <laughs> Let uh, me do this. Huh? You okay with letting me do this? Uh, I'll be succinct. Okay, just don't be graphic. Guys, I'm not gonna take the time to explain this part of the movie. Like, not in detail. Things become so hopeless for little Neil after this conversation that he decides that life is not worth living. 
Yeah, he's so trapped in his own life. He does not see past his father or the existence his father is creating for him. Like, he doesn't want to go on and live a life of disobedience, but he also doesn't want to be trapped in his life this way. And so, I just, the movie turns so dark so quickly. And basically what ends up happening is, you know, there is that great little sequence at the window. Mm-hmm. When he's wearing the pot crown. When he's wearing the pot crown. I just, God, it was getting so dark. And guys, he he takes his own life. He takes a gun, a firearm, a pistol of his father's, and he shoots himself in the head in his father's office. And the shot wakes mom and dad up and... They have to find him. I, I don't know if I can play that audio Yeah, or no, not. you don't need to. It's quite literally so awful. It's upsetting. I was shocked. Really? When this happened. It hit you like a freight train? I was, I was like, I really did not think we were going here. Yeah. Oh, boy. It was like jumping was into cold water. so upsetting. And then Knox having to wake Todd up. Yeah. In the middle of the night. What is it? Neil's dead. And like, you know, Todd is beside himself. He runs out into the snow with his pajamas and slippers on with the other boys behind him trying to make sense of the whole thing because he doesn't think Neil would ever do something like this, right? It was his father. His father drove him to it. Yeah, no, we, we're we in grief. We need someone to blame. He wouldn't His dad was... His father did it. His father Todd! Leave him be. And then we're seeing Keating in his empty classroom, walking over to Neil's desk. And oh, this o- moment. Opening it up and seeing that old poetry book right there on top of the stack and sobbing about the fact that this... Oh, when he starts crying? Yeah. When he's looking through it, I... When Robin Williams starts crying, it's game over. Because, I mean, I don't know if this is the first time he's... This isn't the first time he's coming to the realization, but I feel like it really is hitting him that those boys really were going out there every night. Yeah. And reading this book. Oh, you're so right about that. And he's sobbing. He probably feels really guilty, even though he knows he did nothing wrong. Yeah. He did his job. Yeah. And inspired these boys to be more than what their fathers say they are. Exactly. And he just the way, I, I bet he's also just despondent over the fact that this young man will no longer seize another day. Yeah. He will never again suck the marrow of life. What did he tell them on their very first day? Get Car- what you can out of life. Because you could be dead tomorrow. Oh, Jesus! I know. I know. I understand why you're angry with me. Yes, you should be. <laughs> I am validating that anger. You're a bitch. <laughs> And at Neil's memorial service at the school, Headmaster Nolan announces that there will be an extensive investigation into the events leading up to Neil's death. 
and those responsible will be dealt with accordingly. Meaning all these boys. No, yeah, air are, quote, we're scapegoating you, yes. whoever you are S- is. Like scapegoating? We're scapegoat. <laughs> I did it again. Scapegoating. <laughs> Long Jay's journey in tonight. <laughs> As translation, we're scapegoating you. Yeah, exactly. Like, come forward and tell us what you know, or we'll expel you. At the request of Neil's family, I intend to conduct a thorough inquiry into this matter. Your complete cooperation is expected. All the boys are immediately sensitive to the fact that Cameron is probably going to tattle. And he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's not a long business about that. And you know what? I get it. There's pressure. There's pressure, and he, he's, he wants to have a future, and he doesn't want his education to be torpedoed. So, yeah. He narks. He does. And the only thing he has to nark to is the existence of the Dead Poet Society. And, and that Keating definitely knew about it. Yeah, and that, like, he was encouraging it and shit like that. But that's where it gets into, that's where it gets messy. Keating wasn't encouraging this. Keating led them to the idea, but it was Neil's idea, and they all agreed to go do it. Even when, even when Dalton pulled that shtick with the telephone... Keating reprimanded him for that. Oh, yeah, we did skip over that when Keating did in his own way. Yeah. Reprimand them for that. He's like, don't be stupid. Don't get yourselves expelled. Yeah. And now Cameron is about to assure that they will be expelled. If it wasn't for Mr. Keating, Neil would be cozied up in his room right now, studying his chemistry and dreaming of being called That is not true, Cameron. You know that. He didn't put us up to anything. Then Neil loved that thing. Believe what you want, but I say let Keating fry. I mean, why ruin our lives? And Dalton punches him in the face, like bloodies his nose. And that's basically the end of Dalton. Dalton gets expelled immediately after that. We don't see him again. And then like when Meeks gets questioned, Todd's like having to whisper through the door. What did you tell them? Nothing they don't already know, Todd. Oh, God. Yeah, all the boys are caving. One by one, they're caving. They've got this document drawn up from what Cameron originally told them. And, like, all the boys are just being pressured by their parents to sign this document. And This document that says that Keating is, through cause and effect, responsible for what happened to Neil. Which he's so not. Which is unhinged. It is. And any court that that would be given to would have to declare that asinine. See, this is why colleges and, like, private schools insist on exacting their own justice. They're evil! Because, charge me $40,000 and say that I killed my best friend. Like, what? And like, and the re- and the reason for all of it is, is they want Keating gone. They probably don't even really think he was responsible for Neil's death, but they don't want him in this school anymore. Because he's teaching these young men to think. And he's teaching these young men to choose their own path. Yeah, to break out of conformity. And what they need is conformity in that school. So... And yeah, Todd eventually signs the document too. He's just... I, man, you can see it in his eyes. He hates it. Oh no, yeah. Todd, uh, Todd really doesn't want to, but you know his parents are sitting there. Yeah. His parents that have gotten him the same birthday present for years. <laughs> oh yeah. Like... When they got him the desk set for the second year in a row. The same desk set. <laughs> And they're like, don't be stupid, don't be stupid, sign the paper. Oh my god. And he, and I, I can see it behind his eyes. He knows this is not what Keating would want him to do, you know? And he has to do it anyway. Um, oh, by the time we're in that last class. Oh, I know. By the time we're in that last class, I was destroyed. 
Yeah. I was a shell of a human being. Because Head- Headmaster Nolan is subbing for their class while they find a replacement. He used to be the English teacher. <laughs> Imagine that. And like, <laughs> he asked, when he asked them to open their books and read the introduction aloud, <laughs> and but like, none of them can. Yeah, they're like, pulling at their collars. And Cameron's like, that page has been ripped out, sir. Well, if I were somebody else's book. They're all ripped out, sir. <laughs> what do you mean they're all ripped out? <laughs> and no one's like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. What a freak. <laughs> that Keating was, you know. Speaking of Keating, he awkwardly interrupts class to collect his personal items. And uh, <laughs> I hope Cameron has to take a hot shit like now. Oh, I know. Right. Like you hope he's in the worst discomfort. Yeah. And like Keating's puttering around in the background trying to get his stuff while Nolan's trying to conduct class. And because he's gone, I know he's fired. This and this entire time, Todd is making tortured eye contact with Keating, trying to apologize with, with the his eyes. eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's so much with the eye contact. And like while Cameron is reading from Nolan's copy of the textbook, Todd stands up and tries to apologize loudly. Yeah, in front of everyone. He's like, listen, they all made us sign that paper. We don't believe you're responsible. Mr. Keating, they made everybody Why, sign Anderson? it. <laughs> you gotta believe me, it's true. I do believe you, Todd. Leave, Mr. Keating. But it wasn't his fault. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. One more outburst from you or anyone else, and you're out of this school. Leave, Mr. Keating. And as Keating is turning to leave, Todd gets up on the desk and starts saying, Oh, Captain, my Captain. He's gonna miss his English teacher. I know. And his boyfriend. I know. And oh, here we go with the oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. You hear me? Sit down. Sit down. This is your final warning, Anderson. How dare you? One by one, like the rest of the Dead Poets Society stands up and like- Not Cameron. Not Cameron, no. There are boys in the class who do not stand up. What a gross little fuck he turned out to be. (laughs) Cameron? Yeah. Now listen, I- I get it. The pressure, I get it. I think we should be a little easier on Cameron. It's not like he signed Keating's death warrant. Well, a boy is dead and a career is over, so. Well, that's also not Cameron's fault. I guess. They didn't have to fire him. Well, fuck Nolan. What a greedy little fuck he turned out to always be. (laughs) Thank you, boys. Thank you. When it ended, my jaw dropped. You're like, you can't believe that's the end? I was expecting, like, some loophole. Uh-huh. Keating gets his job back. Everything's fine. DPS goes on. Yeah. No. No. Not at all. Shulman hurt me. I know. And you hurt me. <laughs> Again, this is not my fault. I did not write the damn thing. When you have seen something, mm-hmm. and you know it's upsetting, uh-huh. and I have not seen it, uh-huh. you gotta go, hey. <laughs> Watch out. That's all I need. I might have forgotten that is you hadn't watch, seen it. It's a watch out. I'm trying to be respectful. I'm trying not to read ahead. <laughs> all right. Hey, how about this? I'll warn you if I'm going into something raw. 
Okay. Wow. Just promise me you sorry, won't, I won't use that phrase terminology. Sorry, I won't phrase it like that. Wow. <laughs> I'm really sorry. No, I'll try to And give if you, a you heads know, up. you gotta tell me. I'll give you a heads up. You gotta go, one. watch out. That's all I need is a watch out. I get it. Okay? I get it. And listen, I know how dissatisfying it is. Oh, those boys are so cute. <laughs> I know how dissatisfying it is. Like, he may be fired, but he made a difference in those boys' lives. They'll never be the same. They'll think for themselves from now on and want for themselves. And... All but one. Oh, stop. I know. I know. It's It did not have to come to this, and it's, it should not have. It's Pusey Washington energy. Oh, I know. They killed the best character. And you are eternally angry about devastated. it. Devastated. This was devastating. I know. I know, man. We've all got that character <sighs> that when they kill the character, we're like, wow. I might stop this. And what's your whole birthday month theme this month is a, the character's relationship to literature, correct? Yeah, literature and writing and art and oh, uh, I just, this movie, this movie was so formative. Wish I could say the same. That's, I know. <laughs> Amalia told me they made them watch it in school. See, again, I also thought that was the reason why you might have seen this. Never did see it. Because there is always an English teacher. There's one English teacher in every school, at least one, who wants to be John Keating. And so they just let Robin Williams do it for them. And yeah, and then they make it their entire personality. Don't get me wrong. It can be very healing if done the right way. I just feel like there's a reason that it gets parodied in things all the time. Yeah. Because people think they're John Keating and they're just not. And, but I just, you know, it, it was so important for me to learn at that young age that there were these tangible things in life that were not abstract concepts like literature or science or the nature of existing that could be not measured but felt and they were just as real as the things that had math and science to them you know it's comforting in a way to learn what we can take away from art and literature and all the things that we stay alive for you know mm -hmm. it's it, that was so important and also for this movie to let me know what that special teacher does look like not mm -hmm. not every person's John Keating is like the John Keating in the movie. Of course not. But the way he mentored those boys and made sure that they got the really important things out of this poetry mm -hmm. is so important to watch so that I can recognize it in educators in my life. That's why I loved Jill so much. Oh, yeah. Jill was, again, not a Keating, but she was my Keating. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. I feel like hopefully if you went to a decent school, you had at least one. I hate to say it, but Jenny was kind of that for me. I mean, Jill was that for me, but like... North House. Yeah, North House. She, she was a good one. She deeply cared about that stuff. I know. Like, she did fail me on that research project. <laughs> I did not... Because went over the page limit. Yeah, I gave her a 20-page assignment. And she's like... You to limit it is so I don't have to look through it. Twenty of these. Yeah, she she immediately failed me. She said this is not in the parameters of your assignment. I wanted fifteen pages max. You've <laughs> given me twenty four. Oh my god! We have to wrap this up in uh, fast. Oh wow! That was the battery low. Happy birthday, Carrie! We're on low power. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did this movie. I saw it for the first time just now, and it was devastating. You made your point. I've made mine. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
Let's move on to our third birthday month selection for you. And might be my favorite selection. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I'm excited. Next week, guys, we are going to be talking about Stranger Than Fiction. From 2006? <laughs> yeah, from like Will Ferrell's silly period. You gotta love Phil Werrell. <laughs> and guys, he's not silly in this movie. Really? No, he's not. Uh, like Robin Williams he's in, in bearded and bald roles. Yeah, yeah. he's completely serious in this movie. Insane. It's such a tonal change from the rest of his curriculum vitae. We just saw Barbie. I know, right? <laughs> so, we got Will Ferrell. Well, Ruth Handler, her ghost keeps an office on, on the, the 17th floor. <laughs> anyway, check out that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, you be, you can practice. Please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, recharge. You do not want your battery to run out when you're trying to finish up a podcast. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we're on low battery. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Mom. Mom.